tonight, if you would please, and we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Let me ask you a question. How many of you enjoy mystery novels? Anybody like to read mystery novels? Good. Well, some of you do. One of the um, most famous series of mystery novels was the, are those written by Agatha Christie. I'm not particularly an Agatha Christie fan, and I don't even know that I've read very many Agatha Christie novels, but I do enjoy, or did enjoy, at least when I was younger, occasionally reading a mystery novel. I never spent much time, actually, in those kind of books. If you go in my library in the church here, you'll find out where I spent most of my time reading. So it wasn't mystery novels, but I did enjoy, in high school, reading a mystery novel every now and then. One of my favorites was not Agatha Christie, but was... uh, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, as he wrote The Hound of the Baskervilles. And I, I really like that story. And a mystery novel, that's something that can really hold your attention. And even uh, today, many people are very interested in mysteries. Uh, back in the 70s and 80s, it was really popular to have mysteries on television. And um, today, on television, you watch shows like CSI or NCIS, some of those. The thing that keeps people captivated is the mystery part of what's going on. Well, it might surprise you to learn that the Apostle Paul also liked mysteries. Uh, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians and also at least 12 other books of the New Testament, possibly even 13. And in this chapter, he talks about a mystery. And he says that God had given him a dispensation of grace to deal with a particular mystery. And tonight, that's what I want to talk about in our study. I want to discuss the mysteries in Ephesians and what Paul means when he says that this mystery was made known to him. So let's stand, if you would, please, for the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at chapter 3 and read verses 2 through 7. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 2. Now, Paul has just stated that he was a prisoner for the cause of Jesus Christ. Then he says in verse 2, If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power." Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what we've read tonight. We thank you for the songs that we've sung tonight, and we just want to magnify you. Help us tonight, Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture. We might understand what was so clearly revealed to the Apostle Paul and passed on to us that we can talk about tonight. Bless in this message tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we talked in our study about what it meant for Paul to be a prisoner of Christ. And one of the things that Paul tried to stress in uh, that first verse that we read is that these Christians in Ephesus are not to be distressed over his condition. He was in prison. He's in prison in Rome. But he lets them know that he's there because God has put him in that place. God has given him something to reveal. And because of the message that Paul preached, he had been put into prison. And the fact that a person has been in prison is certainly uh, does not disqualify him from God's service. In fact, if that were true, we never would have heard from Paul. But he's in prison as he writes this, and that doesn't in any way diminish this great truth that God uh, gave him and how God was working in his life. 
And so God gave him a revelation. He told him something that he wanted to tell the rest of the world. Now, I want us to talk about this mystery tonight. What does Paul mean by a mystery? How did God reveal this? And what does that mystery contain? Now, I think it would be appropriate for us to begin, first of all, discussing the definition of a mystery. Just what is this? And what does the Bible mean by a mystery? Well, the dictionary gives a definition like this. A mystery is something that baffles understanding and cannot be explained. And I believe that that definition would be dead on if we just qualify it a little bit. And that is, it can be explained if you're explaining it to the right people. Now, when you study the Bible, you'll always find that a person's concept of what the Bible has to teach falls into one of two categories. And the first category is the false conception. And there are many false conceptions about what the Bible has to say. And we deal with the wrong ideas of doctrinal truths all of the time. And if you simply understand this, that the devil has made it his goal of his existence to try to destroy the Word of God, then you can very easily understand why there is so much, such misunderstanding about God's Word and why we're always having to deal with false conceptions about the Scriptures. And one of the lies that the devil tries to propagate is that it is impossible for you to understand the Bible. The Bible just makes no sense. And so there's no point in you trying to read the Bible, trying to get down to the uh, different doctrines of the Word of God because you simply can't understand them. And I think that's a false conception. And so when the Bible talks about mysteries, and when Paul talks about a mystery, we can say, number one, that it is not unknowable. He's not speaking about something that you can't know or you can't find out. Now, the dictionary said it baffles understanding and cannot be explained. But the original Greek word for mystery that we have in the Bible doesn't actually mean that. James Montgomery Boyce said... In Greek, the word mysterion, and that's where we get the word mystery today. In Greek, the word mysterion refers to something known only to the initiated. It is not that the thing itself is unknown. It is known, but only to those whom it is revealed. Now, I would say that if you're trying to find out what the Bible means, and you're not one of the initiated... And by that, I mean that you're not someone who has put your personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you don't have the operation of the Holy Spirit of God within you when you haven't been washed by the blood of Jesus. Then for you to try to figure out what the Bible has to say, you're right, you can't understand it and you never will understand it. But to the, so to the uninitiated, the, the preaching of the Bible, the teaching of the Bible is, is uh, foolishness and it can't be understood but not so to those who have the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart. Now, the second point I'd like to make about a false conception of Scripture or biblical truth is that it is not incomprehensible. And you know, there are some people who say, well, yes, Pastor, I do believe the Bible. I'm a born-again Christian, but a whole lot of what you're saying, quite frankly, is incomprehensible to me. I mean, I understand that I'm saved. I do know that, but I don't understand much more beyond that. And I freely admit to you, there are some things in the Bible that we don't understand. There are some things here that we never will understand. I don't understand the Trinity, but I believe it. And I don't understand how that Jesus could be both God and man. I don't understand that. I don't understand how that Jesus could have in one body the nature of God and also the nature of man. I don't understand that. I don't understand how that the blood of Jesus Christ literally washes away our sins. I don't understand how God does that, but I believe it because that's what the Bible teaches. 
So even though I can't comprehend those kinds of things, yet I do believe them because that's in the Word of God. But I also believe that there is much of the Bible's truth that can be comprehended, and it can only be comprehended through diligent study of the Word of God. I once read a fundamental preacher who said, we can't systematize the Bible. He said, there's too much in the Bible that we can't explain, and so we just have to take what the Bible says by faith. And you know why he said that? It was because there were some obvious contradictions in his doctrine, and so he used the smokescreen that we can't understand the Bible anyway, so why try to make the Bible match up with itself? Why, why try to make, understand these doctrines? Well, I believe that the Bible can be systematized, and I believe the Bible can be harmonized with itself so that every part agrees with another part. And so if you come to the place that you can't make doctrine A lined up with doctrine B, it's not the Bible's fault. It's your fault because the Bible always agrees with itself, and you can't pass it off as simply being something we can't reconcile. Now, there are many people who don't believe in things like the doctrines of grace, for instance. And as they go through the Bible, they have a lot of trouble making doctrine A line up with doctrine B because they don't understand that particular truth. And that's, that's the way it is with a lot of what the Bible has to say. But this book is not incomprehensible, but it can only be comprehended by the initiated. Only the initiated who have taken time to study God's Word and to find out these truths. So that's the false conception. It's not unknowable. It's not incomprehensible. And so some people fall into that false conception when they look of the Bible. But then we also find that there is a true conception of the Scriptures. What is a mystery? Well, it is something that is unknown, but now it has been revealed. It's, it's unknowable to some people, but it has been revealed to other people. And this is the way that Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians. I want you to take your Bible, if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians just a minute, to chapter number 2, and Paul tells us here who knows and who does not know the mystery. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 6. He says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now pay attention to verse number 10 especially. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep, deep things of God." Now, do you see what Paul is saying here? The men who crucified Jesus would never have done that if they understood this mystery. And so we think about this. Why is it that there are some in the apostles' day, uh, some like the apostles who believed in Jesus? I mean, they saw what Jesus did. They believed what he did. They trusted him. And yet there were others who saw the very same things, and they didn't believe in Jesus. Well, it was because the Holy Spirit revealed to them who Jesus really was. And other people did not have this information given to them by the Holy Spirit. And folks, that is the thing that makes all the difference in the world. The difference in a lost man and a saved man is the revelation of God by the Holy Spirit. Now, some would have you to believe that the difference between lost people and saved people or between believers and unbelievers is simply some have good sense and others don't have good sense. And some will say, well, it's a willing heart instead of an unwilling heart. Or someone might say, it's my faith as opposed to your faith. But it's actually none of those things. What it is, 
is the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And that's when the Holy Spirit opens a person's heart. And he does that with some people and he doesn't do it with others. And so this is what Paul is saying. It's the initiated. And that word mystery contains that word initiated. How do you understand it? You must be one of the initiated. And these are the ones that God has decided to reveal himself to. They're the ones who understand the mystery. So what is a mystery? Well, it's not something that's uncertain. It's not something that's so cloudy that you can't know it and you can't find it out. But it is something that without the enlightenment and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will never understand. So who does God give that to? Well, we see it in Paul's theme here in Ephesians. And the the, the consistency of Paul and his doctrine comes through in every chapter that we read here. Because this mystery fits in with the teachings that we studied in the first chapter. This Greek word mysterion means understood only by the initiated. And who are the initiated? Well, Paul told us in chapter 1, it's those who are called out and those who are chosen by God. So I hope you understand now what a mystery is. You see, if Columbo is one of the called out children of God, then he'll solve this particular mystery every time. Now, secondly, this evening, I want to talk about the revelation of the mysteries. We understand the definition of it now, so let's talk about the revelation of the mystery. And Paul says in verse number 3 that the mystery was made known by particular revelation. He says, "...how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ." So here is a mystery that has been revealed. Now in verse number 2, Paul says that this was a dispensation of the grace of God. And we've seen this word dispensation already in the book of Ephesians. Back up in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul speaks about the dispensation of the fullness of times. And what the word dispensation actually means is a stewardship. And so what Paul says, I have been given this stewardship, or it's been given me, it's my job to reveal this particular mystery to the Gentiles. And so it was his job to reveal God's word, in essence, to Gentile people. As we studied the book of Acts, we saw many times that what Paul would do, he would preach to the Jews. Uh, In every city that he visited, as he went on his missionary journeys, the very first thing that he would do, he would go into the synagogues, and he would begin to preach to the Jews. And you remember, I told you he did that because he's already got a ready-made audience. They already have read the scriptures. They've seen them before. So he goes into the synagogues, he preaches to Jews. But ultimately... Every place that Paul went, he ended up winning more Gentile converts than he did Jewish converts. We have this story of Paul and Barnabas preaching in Antioch of Pisidia, and the Jews were listening to the message that he preached, and and they became very angry at it. And so Paul said to them, he says, Okay, we have preached the gospel to you, but now that you have rejected it, we're turning to the Gentiles. So that's what he did. Now back up in our text in verse number 5. Paul then talks about who has been given the revelation of this particular mystery. And he says there, "...which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit." So in the revelation, we can say first, as Paul puts it here, that this was revealed to all of the apostles. This particular mystery was revealed to all of the the apostles. It wasn't revealed to men... Not men in general. In other words, what we're talking about here is not something that was commonly known. This knowledge was not given to the average man. It wasn't given to the average Jew. 
In fact, if we go back and read the Old Testament, we find out this wasn't given to Abraham. Moses didn't understand this particular mystery. Not even David understood exactly what this was all about. And certainly, we know that the Jews of Jesus' time didn't understand it because Paul's already told us in 1 Corinthians that had they understood it, they never would have crucified Christ. And so they don't understand the mystery. So what group of men has been given the special revelation of the mystery that he's talking about? Well, it's the apostles. And we know that it was given to them because these particular men were able to speak about things that they'd never learned before. I mean, God gave them a special gift of knowledge to reveal these particular things. Peter and John were boldly preaching to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, and this is what they said. This is the stone which is set at naught of you builders, speaking about Christ, which has become the head of the corner. And they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And after they said that, in the next verse it tells us that the people began to marvel at what they were talking about and how they could preach the word with such boldness. And the scripture says in verse 13 of that chapter, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now the world was saying to them, You're ignorant. You don't know anything. You don't understand anything. What do you know about the scriptures? And so what God has done here, he's taking these unlearned men, these ignorant men, at least they haven't been trained in the world's universities, and God gave them something that all of these great prophets in the Old Testament didn't even know about. He gave them a special revelation of this knowledge. And then the Bible says that he set those apostles in the church. God has set some in the church first apostles. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. And so God took unlearned, ignorant men and revealed these particular things. And then, as I said, he set those men in the church. Now, folks, here is what the church does today. And this is why your church is so important to you. Number one, you need the fellowship of the church. You need fellowship with God's people. The doctrine that God wants us to know is entrusted to the church. What does the Bible say? Paul also wrote that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And so the doctrines have been entrusted to the church. What else? The Great Commission has been entrusted to the church. When Jesus gave the commission in Matthew chapter 28, he was speaking to the apostles and the disciples as a church. And then as we read these scriptures, the, uh, the book of Ephesians, this letter to the Ephesians is written to the church. Later on, Paul's going to tell us about how the church magnifies and glorifies Jesus Christ. And so the plain message here of the book of Ephesians is that if you do not esteem the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you don't esteem Christ himself. We have to have a high regard for God's church. So Paul's emphasis on the church should tell you this. You better be careful how you talk about the church. Be careful how you talk about God's men in the church. And you know there's some people who can flippantly go out the door and say, well, I've done with that church. I won't have any more to do with you anymore. And that may be because I said something they don't like or somebody else said something they don't like and so they decide I just won't have anything to do with the church anymore. Better remember who you're talking about here. Remember what the church is. 
Now, some people think that they can just abandon the church and then they're still great servants of Christ and they go off and do what they want to do. And that is not so. In fact, Christ thinks the church is so important that the Bible says he installed his apostles into it, the ones that he gave this special revelation. So that's how these things got revealed to the apostle Paul. He's one of the apostles, and God has given it to all of the apostles. Now, I might add one other thing to this. I already talked about this as we finished up chapter 2, but we need to also understand that the apostolic office is a one-time office. And what I mean by that is this office does not continue. These apostles were given the original inspiration of the, of the Word of God, and they received that from the Holy Spirit, and now these revelations that they have been given are not to be added to. And so that means there is no new mystery out there that we're going to find out about. It means that there aren't any new revelations that we don't know about. And that also tells us that no one has the right to add anything to God's Word. And that means a pope, it means a cardinal, it means a bishop, it means any organization, man-made like Roman Catholicism, nobody has the authority to add to God's Word. Joseph Smith did not have the authority to add to God's Word. The Watchtower Society does not have authority to add to God's Word. Mary Baker Eddy, Ellen G. White, head of these cults, they don't have the authority to add to God's Word. And you know there are four words that the Bible uses for all organizations and all people who say that they have been given a revelation more than what the Word of God says or they can add to the Word of God. You know what those four words are? Let him be accursed. That's what the Bible says about anybody who tries to add to God's word. So all of the apostles are given God's revelation. But now I want you to notice particularly here that it was revealed to Paul the apostle. Now the other apostles that we're talking about, primarily they are apostles to the Jewish people. But Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles. And he writes in Romans chapter 11... For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify mine office. Now, Paul was really the most unlikely of all to receive this dispensation or this stewardship for him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And why would I say that? Well, he's an educated Jewish man. He's a very smart man. He's educated at the feet of the greatest rabbis in Israel. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He called himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And if there was anybody who hated Gentiles and believed that Gentiles could never be saved, it was Paul. And after he was saved, I'm glad that he would, I mean, I'm sure that he would, we would have been happy to take up his place in Jerusalem to join the apostles there and just preach to Jewish people. I mean, that I'm sure would have been his preference. But God changed his heart. And God revealed the mystery to him. And this mystery convinced him that he must be an apostle to the Gentiles. And so in verse number 7 of our text, Paul says, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And folks, it's because he was a minister to the Gentiles that he was put in prison. Remember last week, last week we reviewed that some? We talked about the story in the book of Acts, how that Paul was accused falsely of taking a Gentile into the temple. He'd been seen in the company of other Gentiles, and so they just assumed that he must have taken a Gentile into the temple. And so they took him, they captured him, and eventually, I'm not going to go to the whole story again, but he ends up in prison in Rome. 
And that's why he wrote that first verse, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Now, one of the things that we often see Paul doing as he writes these different New Testament letters is to vindicate his apostleship. He starts uh, chapter 1, verse 1 of this book by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. 1 Corinthians begins this way, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. 2 Corinthians starts the same way. Galatians begins, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. And we could talk about Romans, we could talk about 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Paul gives a vindication of his apostleship. And so there was no doubt, there can be no doubt, that Paul is called into this. God gave him this ability. He gave him the ability to preach, the ability to do signs and wonders and miracles, because he was the apostle who was appointed to give out this news to the Gentile people. And so that's the revelation of the mystery. Now I suppose it's time for us to talk about something else because I've given you the definition of the mystery and the revelation of the mystery, but I haven't yet told you what the mystery is. So let's talk about that. What is this news that's been hidden? What is it that Moses didn't know or Abraham and David? What is it they didn't know? Well, so let's speak thirdly about the characteristics of the ministry. And there are actually... Mystery, I should say. There are actually two mysteries that Paul speaks about in this chapter. And we find the first mystery in verse number four. He says, Whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And so the first mystery is the mystery of Christ. Now, Paul says in the verse previous to that, I've already explained this all to you. The mystery of Christ is the gospel itself. What is the gospel? The simplest answer, the gospel is Christ. It's the whole message of the revelation of Christ. And so that's the general, all-encompassing mystery. So if we look at the chapter, what is the general mystery that it reveals? It is the mystery of Christ. Now, if you go back to chapter 1, you may remember that I spoke uh, in those sermons about how many times that Christ, or Paul mentioned Christ in just the first few verses. He says, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved, And ten times in just six verses, he refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, this is what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. Now, there's a lot of Christians and a lot of preachers who think that it's all about them. And so preachers love to have people give them a standing ovation when they enter into the room. They want people to clap for them when they come in. Paul never would have allowed that. And why wouldn't he? Because it wasn't about him. It was all about Christ. He was only interested in magnifying Christ. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about Paul. He says, Paul was a Christ-intoxicated man. He said, Paul wrote, for me to live is Christ. And he also wrote in Colossians chapter 2, in whom, speaking of Jesus, in him, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it's all about Jesus. But what is the mystery of Christ? It's the gospel, of course. But what is it about Jesus that makes him so unique? Why is he different than anyone else? Paul also revealed that. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And so there you have the mystery of godliness. 
Now, when, we use, when he uses the word godliness here, it's not like we normally use it, like us becoming godly and people doing things to become godly or having godliness. He's not speaking about that. He's speaking about Jesus himself, the godliness of Jesus Christ. And so the mystery of Christ is Jesus himself, God himself. God manifest in the flesh, he says. God justified in the spirit. God seen of angels on the earth. God preached to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were not his people, but had become his people. God believed on in the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this, the God-man, going to the cross and dying, and then rising from the dead, and now sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's the greatest event that the world has ever seen. That's the greatest event in history. But let's go a little bit further. Do you know what the greatest mystery in the mystery is? It's the way that God revealed it. It's the way God showed Jesus to us. Now, we would expect that the great God of the universe, the creator of all things, when he gets ready to reveal himself, that what he would do, he would perform some mighty earth-shattering miracle. He would do something that would be seen by all of the world at one time. Some great cosmic display of some universal proportions. That's what we would expect. We would expect God to send a great meteor shower, solar flares to go off in the sky. And then God would declare his great mysteries, his great miracle about what he's going to do with the world. But God didn't do that. Instead, God did it in a mysterious way. In fact, it was a way that was hidden from most of the world. So his, his display of salvation was not a mighty display of cosmic power. What was it? It was a little baby born in a manger. Now, what is more helpless and defenseless than a little baby. Nothing's weaker than a little baby. And friends, that is the mystery. Why that God chose a manger in Bethlehem rather than a fiery chariot in the Milky Way? Isn't that a mystery? What would you have done if you were God? Now, it would have been the world's way for Jesus to come immediately as a conquering king. It would have been the Jews' way for the Messiah to come marching with an army and the insignia of heaven to deliver them. That would have been their way. But that wasn't God's way. Instead, God chose to send Jesus as a servant. He chose to send him in humility. He chose to send the Son of God who had divested himself of all of his glory. And folks, that's a mystery. That's a strange thing. That's God's way of salvation. And Paul said, I'm blessed to have that dispensation. I'm blessed to have the stewardship of explaining that great mystery of Jesus Christ. Now, friends, what we do is we fail to comprehend the greatness of the mystery. We really fail to contemplate exactly what Jesus has done and the way that he did it. And what we usually do is we think that puny humans can sit in judgment of God and that we can tell God what he should do and what he shouldn't do. Preachers say God loves you so much that he would never interfere with your free will. But I would tell you that God loves you so much that he's not going to leave you at the mercy of your will. He's God. And how he brought your ignorant, unworthy, rebellious soul to himself is a mystery that even the angels could never understand. Now, that's a mystery we're going to be thinking about through all of eternity. We just don't understand that one. The mystery is, quite frankly, folks, why me, Lord? Why me? But you know what we're hearing from most of our pulpits today? Why not me? Or it should be me. That's what's usually preached. So it's a mystery. But then there's still yet another mystery that Paul speaks of, and I'll be through when I finish with this. Some people think that the mystery is that God would save Gentiles. 
But that was really never a mystery that God would save Gentiles. 2,000 years before Jesus came, God spoke to Jacob and he said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and, God, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and thy seed shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. Numerous times in the Old Testament it says that Gentiles would be saved. Isaiah said it. Zechariah said it. Malachi said it. By the time you get to when Jesus was here, the Jews had perverted that truth and they really didn't as a whole believe that truth and yet it had already been prophesied. So Paul is not saying here, I'm going to reveal a great mystery to you. Gentiles can be saved. That's not the mystery. So what is the mystery? Here's the particular mystery and that is the mystery of the church. It's not the mystery that Gentiles would be saved and there were some of the Jews who believed that Gentiles could be saved, but they thought that Gentiles had to become Jews. In other words, the Gentiles had to become Jewish proselytes. In order for Gentiles to be saved, they must come under the rights and the customs of the Jewish people. And the council that they held in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, that's what it was all about. Should Gentiles be circumcised? In the book of Galatians, that's what Paul is arguing about. Do Gentiles need to be circumcised in order to come to God, in order to be saved? And the conclusion of all of that is a mystery that had to be revealed, something that wasn't known before. And so the mystery was the church, that both Jews and Gentiles would be on equal footing in the church. Now look at verse number 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now there's a question that's very often asked. Was the church mentioned in the Old Testament. And covenant theologians make the mistake of thinking that the church in the New Testament is actually a continuation of Israel in the Old Testament. And one of the false ideas that they extract from that is that babies should be baptized because that circumcision has been replaced by baptism. And so covenant theology leads you in that kind of an error. Why don't you listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. He says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to his saints. And so he says the mystery was hidden. So this is not something that was known in the Old Testament. So the covenant theologians are wrong, according to Colossians chapter 1. But then on the other hand, you have what's called hyper-dispensationalists, and they make the mistake of believing that the church was revealed only to Paul, and that the church actually started sometime after Christ's ministry on earth. Many falsely believe that the church started on the day of Pentecost. And so those that even are less than hyper believe that there are no references at all in the Old Testament about the church. And what they do... In, in describing it that way, is they missed this great covenant that God made with Christ before the world began. That's the covenant of redemption, the covenant where God elected his people. Now, the truth is that the church is a mystery in the Old Testament that wasn't fully explained. So Paul and the apostles were given the ministry of explaining how God would bring Gentiles into a covenant relationship that would be exactly like that of the Jews. And so what this means is that both the Jews and the Gentiles would be on equal footing in the church. 
And this is what Paul says in verse 6, that the Gentiles would be fellow heirs. They would be in the same body, and they would be partakers of the same promise. Now I want to make one last point as we close the message tonight, and this is the last statement on your listening sheet. Very simply, all are equal in the church. Now, some would have you to believe that the church is composed of different classes of Christians. One of the early heresies that got started, people started departing from New Testament examples. I mean, the New Testament is very clear to us on church polity, how the church is to be organized. And so, one of the early heresies was to begin to divide the church up into the clergy and the laity. And so, there becomes a class distinction in the church. And those kinds of class distinctions is what gave rise to the Roman Catholic Church today. That's why there's a hierarchy in the Roman Catholic Church. And this is why uh, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that the priests are the ones who must interpret the Word of God. And as you know, for many centuries, they wouldn't allow the, the, the regular people... If they weren't in the, in the clergy, they wouldn't allow them to have Bibles. They couldn't read the Bible. And there's no sense you reading the Bible because we're the only ones who can explain it to you. But that's totally against the Scriptures because God never intended that there should be a class distinction in the church. What we see from the New Testament example is that the elders, the pastors, and the deacons are chosen from among the people. They're not lords over the people. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 5. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And listen to verse 3. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Now, unfortunately, in many of our independent fundamental Baptist churches, the same men who denounce Roman Catholicism for this, those same men have made themselves lords over their people. They take the pastorate and they turn it into their own little fiefdom, and they believe that all spiritual direction must come from them. And so if you need to know what God's will for your life is, you ask them. And they'll tell you what it is. So they set up their regulations and the rules, and they determine your spirituality by how, how well that you live by those rules. Now, here's what I say about all of that. Would to God that Baptist people and Baptist churches would have the spirit of Paul. Because in verse number 7, he says, I was made a minister. And you know what that word minister is? It's the word diakonos. And what it means is a waiter. It means a servant. It's the same word from which we get deacon. And we all know what the deacons did in the first church. Brian, they waited on tables. They picked up the trash and all those kinds of things, you know. They took care of people in that way. They were servants. And the great apostle Paul says this about himself. I am just a servant. That's all that I am. And all of us would do well to remember what Paul believed and what he taught. We're saved to serve. And God wants no hierarchy in a church. We're fellow servants with Jesus Christ. The pastor is, your deacons are, and we don't want to be lords over anybody. We just want to work side by side with you. So we're of the same body, he says. We're all fellow heirs. We're all partakers of the promises of Christ. And if we just remember that, have a servant's heart, a servant's attitude that take care of a lot of the problems that we have in churches. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to preach your word tonight. 
Lord, what great truths we learn in Ephesians. So many different areas that we get to talk about. So many different doctrines that are brought out that just show us how to follow you in the right way. And Lord, help us that we would have maybe even just a little of the Apostle Paul in us, that we would be servants of others. And Lord, we know that you'll bless us for that. Bless this church. We thank you for it. Thank you for the good people of Brian Baptist Church who work and strive together for the cause of Jesus Christ. Blessing this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.